On episode 357 of Nintendo Switchcraft, we've got crunch in the industry. Console makers respond to tariffs. Uh, the GOG is back. Those stories and more on this episode of Nintendo Switchcraft. This is Leo from San Francisco, and you're listening to Nintendo Switchcraft. <laughs> to you live four times a week on Tuesdays, Thursdays, Fridays, and Saturdays. Tune in live over at twitch.tv slash run, jump, stomp. This episode of Switchcraft is made possible by Respawn RX. Get Switchcraft and my other content ad-free for as little as a dollar over at patreon.com slash run, jump, stomp, and leave a voicemail for the show by heading on over to runjumpstomp.com slash voicemail from any device, and I may even play it on the show. Oh, Pac-Man, I'm beat! And I'm hungry! Thank goodness for Pac-Man pasta from Chef Boyardee. All right, so first off, people are like, hold on, what's what's with the four days a week? What's going on here, Bill? Um, I just, okay, so on Fridays, I've been doing a show called Run, Jump, Stomp. We've had 30 episodes so far, and it's doing pretty well. Um, but there's, both of the shows are very, very similar. Both of the shows are just me talking about video games. And on Switchcraft, it's me talking about just Nintendo stuff. And then on on the Run, Jump, Stomp show, it's me talking about not Nintendo stuff. And the the shows are very, very similar. So I was talking to a podcaster, uh, another podcaster that I know, uh, Justin Robert Young. Uh, He does a lot of different shows. And I was talking to him about this. And he says, Bill, you should just combine the shows. You should bring them together. And I said, well, you know, I I don't know if that's really the best idea. And he said, uh, he said, well, why? Why are you hesitant? And I couldn't really put my finger on the reason why I was hesitant. So he said, just merge the shows because it's all the same thing. And like right now, it it, it means that I'm going to be logging into less things. I'm going to have to differentiate things a little bit less. Um, these shows are so similar. Um, I, I felt like whenever I was doing... Um, a run jump stomp episode i felt like i my I, my hands were tied i couldn't talk about nintendo when sometimes nintendo was really really important to the conversation and i felt like well if i'm talking about nintendo i should really be including it over on uh nintendo switchcraft so i figured i listened to justin and i said screw it i'm gonna take the two shows put them together and it, you know and just making the show notes today it clicked in my head. I was like, yes, I should have done this a long time ago. So from now on, on Fridays, because I I no longer have my hands tied. I can talk about Nintendo when I talk about the industry as a whole, because things that happen in the industry do affect Nintendo. And pretending that there is this line of demarcation separating the Nintendo stuff from the non-Nintendo stuff is just weird and arbitrary. So on if you like nintendo switchcraft everything's going to be the same except on fridays i'm going to have a new 
uh, segment that we'll we'll just call Nintendo, uh, and I kind of like it just because of the name as well. So on Fridays we're going to have Nintendo, where I talk about the industry as a whole, not just Nintendo, but I'll also talk about Nintendo stuff. So just kind of branching it out a little bit, and I think that if you are listening to this and you only care about Nintendo, then you know, you can just not listen to this particular episode. Although I think if you listen to it, you'll say, oh, you know what? I'm glad I listened. So that being said, I want to talk about crunch in the industry. Uh, this is something that has, we, I've talked about this on uh, all, all of my shows multiple times. And um, one of the founders of Blizzard, uh, Mike Morheim, was being interviewed by Eurogamer. Uh, at Game Lab, and he said that crunch is non-sustain, not sustainable. So, somebody, for somebody who doesn't know what I mean when I say crunch, this is a thing that has been happening in the video game industry for a very long time, probably since the video game industry started. Actually, I, you know, there's there's evidence, there's big evidence. Let's talk about um, where is it behind me? I'm just looking real quick. Yeah, there it is, right there. Pac-Man just fell down. Uh, I've got in my hands one of the worst games of all time. Some people say it is the worst game of all time. Now, if you're watching the video, you know what game I'm talking about. If you're not watching the video, go to youtube.com slash runjumpstomp. Don't forget to subscribe over there. But if you're not watching the video, I want you to think, what is the game that people say is the worst game of all time? Do you have your answer in your head yet? That's right. It's E.T., the extraterrestrial. Now, first off, I think that this game gets a bad rap. Uh, is it a great game? No, it is not a great game. But it is not. It is not the dumpster fire that everybody says. In fact, I played this a game. I played this game a lot when I was a kid. And the guy who made it, uh, he had made Yar's Revenge, as well as Indiana Jones and the Temple of or no, and Raiders of the Lost Ark, right? He made both of those games for the Atari 2600, and Steven Spielberg went to Atari, and he said, I want a game to lo- uh, to launch alongside E.T. in theaters. And they said, okay, we, we can do that. And then they, they gave it to this guy, and he said, yeah, sure, I can make a game in, in three months or so. It was a ridiculous amount of time. And so if you, if you think that this game is real bad... There's a reason for it. It's because it was made in a very, very short time by just one person. And that is the, that, that's probably the first example that comes to mind when I talk about crunch in the video game industry. Where as you approach the deadline of when a game is going to launch, uh, developers, because they are so committed to getting their game done uh, on time and meeting their deadlines and because it's really, really hard to plan stuff out ahead of time because you don't know what obstacles you're going to run into along the way, they end up putting in a ton of extra hours. And a lot of times, you know, studios will take these, um, like the people who are in charge will say, look at how dedicated our developers are. They're so dedicated that they are working 100 hours a week to make this game for you. And while that number is an impressive number, it's also 
a depressing number. That is awful. Nobody should have to work 100 hours a week to create entertainment for somebody else. That's ridiculous. They should have a good work-life balance. Now, remember at the beginning of the show when I said, hey, this is also about Nintendo. It's not just about not Nintendo. Uh, Nintendo, they have one of the best work-life balances of any video game corporation out there. Their employees work the fewest number of hours and take take home really decent pay. And that's something that we probably, I mean, I, I guess... I don't know that we always knew it, but it was definitely something that we found out about this year or last year. I remember reporting on it on the show. Uh, so I think it's fantastic that Nintendo does that. And more and more uh, developers and publishers in the industry are trying to um, work their way towards this, or at least they're making it look like they're trying to work their way towards this. So Mike Morheim, one of the founders of Blizzard, he said, look, it is not sustainable to have this crunch mentality all the time. Although, to be fair, Blizzard has been around a very long time. I mean, they started out as Silicon and Synapse back in the 90s. And uh, <laughs> back in, it's 28 years now. I think it's been 28 years that, that Blizzard has been around. So clearly crunch is sustainable, but it's not good for the industry. It's not good for the developers and it's not good for games. Uh, so uh, let, let's see what uh, Mike Morheim said. He said, Blizzard has definitely evolved around crunch. Uh, in our early days, we crunched crazy hours to get games done. I think if you're a small studio, you're living or dying by the success of your next project. And it takes a lot of superhuman effort, or at least it did for us. And that makes a lot of sense. If you're a small developer, you don't have... Your, your portfolio is not diversified. You're working on one thing. And if that one thing flops, your studio might just collapse. So everybody at the studio works really, really hard to try and make it happen so that they can make the next thing. Because if they fail, the next thing will never get made. So I can understand why some developers have that enthusiasm and end up crunching. But it ends up making for unhealthy people who are not doing their best work. And because of that, the game ultimately will suffer. So what can you do to combat that? I don't know. I don't have a good reason. I don't have a good solution for small developers. But when you're talking about big developers, we're talking like EA, Activision, Rockstar, Blizzard, like these companies, they can take a, uh, they can take a hit in the wallet and still be able to keep the lights on and making making i hate to say making uh but because we all know that they've said look these developers are only staying because they want to um i saw a hilarious meme the other day uh if you've ever watched office space there's this scene in office space which is a great movie by the way there's the scene in office space where um Jennifer Aniston is a waitress at a restaurant and they have these pins all over their suspenders. They wear suspenders in the restaurant and they have these little pins and they're called flair. And her manager brings her over and, and he says, I, I want to talk to you about your flair. And she's like, well, um, I got 23 pieces. 
He goes, well, yeah, 23 is the minimum. Is that what you want to do? Do you, do you want to do the minimum? And she says, so you want me to wear more? He says, well, I want you to want to wear more. And, and the meme that I saw was basically they took that scene and instead of talking about um, the number of pieces of, of, of pins or flair that she had, uh, they talked about hours. So he was the publisher or whatever or, or, or the guy in charge, the suit, if you will. And he was talking to a developer and she was the, playing the part of the developer. And he was like, so I see that you only have 40 hours and or, or I, I want to talk to you about your hours. And she says, well, I have 40 hours. And he goes, well, yeah, that's the minimum. And she's like, so you want me to work more? And he's like, well, I want you to want to work more. And I feel like that's probably a conversation that has happened in a studio that is undergoing crunch. And that's not a good thing. That is a bad thing. So it's very bad for the well-being developers, well-being of the developers, and it's bad for the quality of the game. It's bad for everybody uh, out there. And it's bad for us. We're going to have worse games because of crunch. Uh, Morheim, again, that's, that's why we're talking about it, because he talked about it. Mike Morheim, uh, founder of Blizzard, uh, he says, crunching to ship games does more harm than good. Here's his quote. He says... That is not sustainable. We need to find better ways of working. And so I think you're finding companies are doing a lot better these days managing sort of controlled crunches where people are working really hard, but they're not working 24-7. They're taking breaks, they're sleeping, and I think the larger companies are able to hire more staff. And actually, even the smaller companies, there's a lot more money coming into the space these days. So even the smaller companies are able to get funded to do the work they want to do better than in the past. So Mike Morheim doesn't work at Blizzard anymore. So somebody uh, reached out to Blizzard and Blizzard said, generally our policy on the team itself is we want to be a no crunch team. This is John Height. He's an EP over at um, and vice president over at uh, World of Warcraft. He told uh, Eurogamer, we're not there 100% yet. We're really dramatically better than we've been five years ago and certainly better than 10 years ago. I think that very few parts of the team end up having to work any degree of overtime. So for the big developers like Rockstar and EA and Activision and all those guys, if Blizzard can do it and Nintendo can do it, and just an aside... Those are two of my favorite developers of all time. They make the best games, okay? If those two companies can do it and still ship a killer game, then so can you, okay? And I I also have to say, like, Nintendo, they delayed Animal Crossing. This is directly from, I think it was Doug Bowser. They delayed shipping Animal Crossing this year, put it at March next year, in order to make sure that their employees had a good work-life balance. And when it comes down to it, that is incredibly admirable, and I think that Nintendo should be applauded for it. Uh, So uh, let's go to chat and see what the live chat are are, are saying about this. Um, Early access can help with crunch as it can be used to help direct resources towards viable, marketable products. Redneck IMAT in chat says that. That's a very good point. 
early access can also get a lot of uh, bugs pointed out early so that people can easily say, okay, we're going to have to delay or we're on target uh, by getting more people testing things is always better. Uh, let's see. Uh, he also said the execs are the ones that ultimately drive the unrealistic expectations. I'm going to take issue with what you said there, Matt. I don't think that's true. I think, yes, they are. They are definitely some of the people that drive the unrealistic expectations, but so are the gamers. The gamers are always like, they always complain anytime a game is delayed. It always happens 100% of the time. I think we are at fault. And by we, I mean we as a gamers as a whole. Sure, there are people who, like you and like me, think delay your game, bring it when it's supposed to come out, and we will be happy. Okay? But there are also people who, you know, do death threats when a game gets delayed. And I, I think that companies just need to learn how to ignore that. Uh, IKS81 in chat says, my old job, we had executives that would make decisions and change directions without taking talking to the technical people doing the actual work. And we'd get 80% done and then be forced to shift gears chasing revenue without recognizing the revenue from the previous direction yet. That's a good idea. Uh, Inside Out Alpha says, what about consumer expectations? You say, think those play a role? I absolutely think they do. I just said that, but uh, you typed that before I said it. I'm just getting caught up on chat. Uh, let's see. Uh, I, IK says, I think developers and publishers need to be more honest with end users too. Absolutely. And this is something where Nintendo is terrible or, or traditionally Nintendo has been terrible at this. They're very, very bad at communicating what's going on with us. Now, recently that feels like it's changed. The fact that Doug Bowser said we delayed Animal Crossing because that game was not going to be ready on time and we, we didn't want to crunch. The fact that uh, they put out that video explaining, look, Metroid Prime 4, we're starting from scratch. Like, that's good. It's good to be transparent. When you're transparent, most of the time, the reasonable people will be like, oh, all right, well, take your time, do it the right way. I would prefer to have a good game over a crappy game. And I'm not going to do that... You know, I'm not going to invoke the Miyamoto quote that everybody always does. You guys know which one I'm talking about. Uh, and if you don't, uh, ask and I'll tweet it to you or something. Uh, so let's see what else. Um, Redneck IMAT says, I think that it is extremely important to a balanced company that executives are people that have actually done the work. Many of the problems can be avoided if refusing to place execs without work or experience. That makes a lot of sense as well. Um, <laughs> Joel Mead in chat says, Wait, directly from Bowser? Do you think we can trust him? I think we can trust him. He had a tie on and everything. Uh, anyway, uh, thank you. Oh, wait. Uh, Smashblock says, the public response to the delay of Animal Crossing seems to mostly positive, and hopefully it will influence other studios to follow. I hope so, too. I think that's a, a good point. All right. Uh, we're going to talk about politics now, and this is not something that I want to talk about. So, uh, it's definitely game related and we'll talk about it in just a second. Uh, but first we're going to thank a sponsor. And when we come back, it's time for politics. What? Hi, I'm Daniel founder of pretty litter. 
Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It may be the most addictive toy in history, and it's definitely the hottest thing this Christmas. All right, uh, what are we what are we talking about here with with politics? We're talking about tariffs, okay? Uh, if for those of you don't who don't know, the current president of states Trump, uh, he has instituted tariffs against China. Now, I am not going to pretend even for a second that I understand how the economy like that stuff is complicated. And I can admit when I'm out of my depth, I don't pay attention to that stuff very much. I do, I do watch politics and like I listen to NPR and I find out what's going on in the world, but like it's far more complicated than just saying, oh, uh, you know, I'm going to put a tariff on China and that's going to be bad for China because that's not how it works. What happens is now anything that gets shipped here from the U.S. is now going to be more expensive or, or shipped here from China is going to be more expensive for me, the consumer. I am going to have to pay more on stuff that comes from China. Now, what comes from China that I would talk about on this show? Video game consoles, people. Sony, Microsoft, and Nintendo are teaming up. Oh my God, it's the end of the console wars, everybody. If I had a big button on my desk that I could hit and have confetti all, all over the place that would be fantastic but i don't so i don't have a big button to hit uh but it's the end of the console where everybody sony microsoft and nintendo are all getting together and making a console no they're not they're not making a console that's a lie bill what is your problem okay what are they doing well they've come out against trump's tariffs on gaming consoles of course they have of course they have uh this comes from kotaku Uh, It says here, Sony, Microsoft, and Nintendo have joined forces to tell the U.S. government that its newly proposed tariffs on goods imported from China would hurt consumers, put jobs at risk, and stifle innovation, according to a joint letter sent by the companies to the Office of the U.S. Trade Representatives. Um, It says here, and I quote... Uh, Let me show this. It says each video game console comprises dozens of complex components sourced from multiple countries. A change in even a single supplier must be vetted carefully to mitigate the risks of product quality, unreliability and consumer safety issues. Tariffs would significantly disrupt our company's businesses and add significant costs that would depress sales of video game consoles and the games and services that drive the profitability of this market segment. All right, well, let's talk about this for a second. Video games 
are a massive industry and bring in a lot of money. And guess what? Sure, the devices themselves are made in China, but many of the publishers, many of the developers are right here in the US. So by, by depressing the, the sales of a console, that means there's going to be less consoles out there. And if there's less consoles out there, then there's less customers for these US companies to sell to. This is bad. And the video game console supply chain has developed in China over a long, long time. So for them to just say, okay, well, we've got this tariff that we have to avoid. We need to shift everything out of China and someplace else. That's going to change things up so much. And so how, how is this going to affect you? Well, let's say that we go out and it's a 25% tariff, okay? So that's one-fourth. So let's say that the Xbox uh, One X is $400. It might be $500. I'm not sure. I'm going to pretend it's $400 just for the easy math. Uh, let's say that you want to buy an Xbox One X at $400. Well, guess what? It is now $500 because that's a 25% uh, a bump to the price. So 25% of $400 is $100. So you add $100 to the price of that. That is going to drive a lot of people away. I mean, look at what happened at um, uh, uh, to the PlayStation 3. Remember when the PlayStation 3 came out and it was $600? Like, that thing sold like crap. It sold really, really badly because it was too expensive. Already, the... All right, so already Nintendo is the only one that makes a profit on selling their actual console. Uh, both Sony and Microsoft are selling their consoles at a loss. So every time they sell a console, they lose money. So the, it, it's unreasonable for them to lower the price more because they're already losing money every time they sell one. Lowering the price more would really, really hurt them. So... Um, lowering the price in order to keep the price the same because of the tariffs, that's not good for the bottom lines of these companies. And yeah, Sony's a Japanese company, uh, but Microsoft is a U.S. company. So uh, I don't know what's going to happen, uh, but it says here, uh, because of the deep interdependence of video game consoles and game software, and due to the price sensitivity of video game console purchasers, tariffs on video game consoles would not only harm our companies, consumers, and retails, but uh, what, but will also disproportionately harm the thousands of small and medium-sized software and accessories developers in the United States. Thus, these tariffs would have a ripple effect that harm uh, a ripple effect of harm that extends throughout the entire video game ecosystem. So we're, we're going to see what happens with this, and I'm sure they'll come back and talk about it. And don't worry, I'm not going to talk about politics, but I am going to talk about stuff like this when it affects the video game industry, because that's what this show's about. It's about video games. So I, I, I don't know what your politics are, but what I do know is that I don't want to spend $500 on an Xbox One X or whatever the price is going to be when when the PS5 comes out cuz my guess is that the PS5 will probably come in at $500 and then you add a 25% on top of that 
That is going to be very, very painful. That'd be $625. We all saw what happened to the PS3. Uh, that's not going to work with the PS5. So uh, only time will tell what's going to happen. Let's talk about GOG. What? GOG? Yeah, that's right. GOG. If you're going to spend your time playing video games, why not play them on something that can also teach you about computing? Get a Commodore 64 or VIC-20. All right, let's talk about GOG Galaxy. Uh, this has actually been put into the show notes a couple times, and I keep putting it off, but I want to talk about it now. Um, I, I've talked about launchers. Uh, I've talked about launchers quite a bit on this, sh- or, well, on Run Jump Stomp. Uh, and launchers uh, I find to be annoying. I, I tolerate one from Steam. Well, actually, I, I prefer Steam. I tolerate one from uh, Blizzard because I love Blizzard games. Uh, and then I, I tolerate the Epic Games Store because it allows me to get a free game every two weeks, which is kind of cool. Uh, I still, you know, I've talked the the Epic Games stuff to death, and I, I'm sure I'll talk about it again, but I'm not talking about it today. Um GOG Galaxy is a launcher and a store, kind of like Steam. Uh, but one of the things that is kind of cool about it is that GOG Galaxy is supposed to connect to all of your launchers. So, you know, you know the meme where it's like, yo, dog, I hear you like launchers. So I put a launcher in your in your launchers. It's kind of like that, except as long as I don't have to look at another launcher or, or launch another launcher, if I can just open up GOG Galaxy 2.0 and um, launch any game that I have from any launcher, like that is a win. That's a win for me. And I've already signed up for the beta, but you can sign up for the beta as well. Just go to uh, go uh, gogalaxy.com uh, and sign up for the beta. Uh, I, I'm looking forward to it. it basically... You've got uh, the Ubisoft launcher, you've got the EA launcher, the Blizzard launcher, Steam, uh, Epic launcher, all of these different launchers. So like when you go to play a game, you're like, okay, which launcher had that game? Not a problem anymore. You load up the GOG Galaxy 2.0 and it's all in one library. It has all of your achievements. Uh, you you can install any game from on your PC, no matter which platform. And it should just work. And I think that that's really cool. Now, one of the things that people often ask about is, uh, hold on, my friends are all on Steam and I want to be able to talk to them. Uh, Well, I guess GOG Launcher says that they have a solution to that as well. They have cross-platform chat. No matter on which platform your friends are, you can chat with them. You'll have one friends list. Bring together your friends from all platforms and see their online status. Now, we kind of already have something sort of like this with um, with uh, Discord. All right, so with Discord, you're supposed to be able to launch games that you have on other launchers. I don't... I've never actually tried it um, because I find the UI to be pretty terrible, actually. So uh, if you look right here, uh, if you're watching the, the video, then you can see this, and if not, I'm sorry. But if you look right here, you can see... There's Fortnite. I have Fortnite installed on my PC uh, through the Epic Games Store. And if I click it, I can launch it. I've got Cuphead installed through, I I think through Steam. And if I click it, I can launch it. Um, I don't know what game that is. 
that looks like Dauntless through the Epic Games Store. This is uh, Divinity Original Sin 2 through, I think, through Steam. Um, the UI is terrible. I can't tell what the hell is happening on here uh, because they've got all these little advertisements and stuff. But, uh, like, they've got the Quick Launcher. Hopefully, GOG Galaxy can do this with a better um, a, a better UI. It also says designed to protect your privacy. Uh, no spying on you from your computer. No data sharing. Your data belongs to you. I'm like, okay, that's that's kind of cool. Um, neat. Uh, hold on. What, what just happened here? Oh, oh thank you very much. Uh, Redneck IMAT just cheered uh, 200 bits and says handling political issues without being political. Thank you very much. I appreciate it, man. Uh, okay, what else do they say? Uh, the all-in-one solution for the present-day gamer. Community platform integrations connect more platforms and add features with open-source integrations, sync between devices, save custom views. It all seems really, really good. So if you are interested in that, just go to GoGalaxy, gogalaxy.com, and sign up for the beta. I signed up a couple weeks ago. I still haven't gotten in, but I think it's pretty awesome, and I'm looking forward to... Uh, uh, to checking it out as somebody who does play games on the PC from time to time. Uh, anyway, so before we wrap up the show, I've got some feedback, and I'm just going to take a quick sip of my water, and then we will uh, we'll wrap we'll, we'll uh, hit this feedback. Double Dragon Three, the ultimate in NES martial arts action, continues with all new weapons, characters, and street fighting moves against the world's most awesome villains. Double Dragon 3 from a claim. The action keeps coming. All right. Pat Duddy uh, says, question for the show. I was wondering if you could give a brief overview on Final Fantasy XIV for gamers who have never played an MMO. How does the game work and how do we get started? Thanks. Okay. That is a, that is a tall order, Pat. I will do my best to sum it up in as few words as possible. Uh, so... How can I do this? Okay, uh, Final Fantasy XIV is an MMO. Uh, an MMO is a game where typically you go out and you do quests on your own, but then you get together with other players to do a dungeon. So then you will team up with three other players. Uh, one player plays a tank. Their job is to take the damage. One player plays the healer. Their job is to keep everybody alive. And then two players... Our, uh, their job is to do what uh, everybody would call DPS. And if you don't know what DPS is, that's damage per second. So their job is to kill the monster. So the tank says, all monsters attack me. The healer keeps the tank alive. And then the damage dealers do damage to the monsters while the tank keeps their attention, if that makes sense. Uh, that's the, the core behind most massively multiplayer online role-playing games which are my favorite genre. I love a good MMO. And I have sunk many, many days, weeks, months, years into playing MMO games. They, the thing about an MMO is that the world continues without you. When you're not playing the game, the game is still out there being played whether you're in it or not, the day-night cycle continues. Things are continually happening. Things change in many MMOs. Uh, and the thing that sets Final Fantasy XIV apart from the rest 
is, well, number one, it's got fantastic controller support. Uh, I'm a huge fan of the controller support in Final Fantasy XIV. Um, I went running with my daughter a few years back, and I don't know if you can see this on the, uh, on the, no, you can't, yeah, right here. Uh, on the video, you can see my scar. I got a scar right there on my arm where I fell and broke my elbow and had to have surgery to put everything back together. Uh, and now I can't twist my arm uh, in order to get into the WASD position on my keyboard as well as I used to be able to. So playing with a controller is much, much better for me. Another thing that sets uh, Final Fantasy XIV apart from other MMOs is that it has like this really, really involved story and you have to complete the story in order to uh, do certain things. Uh, the story is very, very integral to Final Fantasy XIV as an MMO. Most MMOs, you can just kind of ignore the story and just go out and do dungeons and level up and be fine. With Final Fantasy XIV, you have to... You don't have to read everything, but you do have to do the story quest. They call it the MSQ, the main story quest. You have to do that stuff in order to access certain parts of the game. And that's really not the case in most MMOs. Um, uh, let's see. Uh, J Harley 17 in chat says, if you don't have controller support, I want no part in your game. J Harley 17 noted. Um, it, it's a very heavily story-driven MMO, but it's also got some fantastic fights. Another thing that I feel like separates it from from the other MMOs is the setting is really really weird. And honestly, this is a this is a game that completely fell on its face when it launched. Uh the game launched and the people who made it didn't really know what the hell they were doing. Uh and basically they made the game completely unplayable. I had a pretty beast of a PC when it first launched, my computer couldn't touch it. Like, it couldn't run it at all. Uh, it would constantly crash because they had, like, potted plants in the city that had the same number of polygons as a player. Uh, and the potted plants were, like, there were hundreds of them everywhere, all over the place. And my computer just couldn't render all that stuff on the screen at once. So it would overheat and then it would shut down. Uh, my computer could not play that game. So then they got Yoshi P., they brought him in and they said, can you fix this? And he said, I can fix this. Uh, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to fix it in secret. So basically what they did is they continued supporting the game as it was. And then while they were supporting the game as it was, they rebuilt the game from the ground up. And that's when they launched A Realm Reborn. Uh, they they even did a story around it. So uh, like a, and this is stuff that you can't really access today because a lot of this stuff happened before A Realm Reborn. Um, but Final Fantasy XIV, it came out. It was a trash heap. Final Fantasy XIV, A Realm Reborn being worked on in the shadows. That game comes out and they ended the original Final, Final Fantasy XIV by having the moon crash into the planet. And the moon crashes into the planet, kills everyone, except for the people who uh, this guy Louis Swa saves, and he basically teleports those people into the new Final Fantasy XIV. So they even took their biggest failure and wrote it into the lore of the story to bring people forward. And I just think that that's really cool. Um, 
the 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 thing that I really like about it is it does a good job teaching you how to play. You will slowly get abilities over time. And I, I will say this, anybody who's trying out Final Fantasy 14 for the first time, the game is going to feel slow to you. That's a temporary thing, okay? I don't feel like Square Enix puts their best foot forward at the beginning of this game. You feel like you're waiting a lot at the very beginning. And that's because you have very few abilities. And there's something in many MMOs that has something called a global cooldown. Uh, or what we, everyone will, will um, abbreviate as a GCD. So in an in a MMO, there's this thing called a GCD. I feel like Robin Williams in um, Good Morning Vietnam. Uh, you know, if the VP, uh, if the VP is such a VIP, then... Oh, God, I can't remember how he says it. It's something about if the vice president is such a very important person, if the VP is such a VIP, then uh, we if we screw up, we're going to be put on KP, which is Kitchen Patrol. I can't remember. It's a fantastic uh, movie. And if you haven't watched Good Morning Vietnam, then what are you doing, man? Um, but uh, Robin Williams or Robin Williams aside, uh, the GCD in, MM, in an MMO is a very important thing. And the GCD is very, very slow in Final Fantasy 14. It has a slow cooldown. But as you level up, you start to get abilities that don't care about the global cooldown. So uh, basically, if I push a button that casts a spell in, in that game, it will start a cooldown on all of my abilities that are on the global cooldown. So all of those abilities will be uncastable for like two seconds or something like that, which sounds like nothing, but oh my God, it feels like an eternity. In that time, I can also cast non-global cooldown spells. So at the very beginning of the game, you don't have very many non-global cooldown spells, if any. So you hit a button and then you got to wait two seconds before you hit another button. And that seems like an eternity. But as you level up, you get a lot more stuff. Um, oh my God, IKS81 has the quote. Excuse me, sir. Seeing as how the VP is such a VIP, shouldn't we keep the PC on the QT? Because if it leaks to the VC, we could end up being MIA and then we'd all be put on KP. I could translate that for you. Seeing as the vice president is such a very important pers person, shouldn't we keep the... Um, I don't remember what PC... Uh, on the quiet tip, because if it leaks to the Viet Cong, he could end up missing an action, and then we'd all be put on, on Kitchen Patrol. I was on Kitchen Patrol a time or two. You peel potatoes. It was awful. Uh, anyway. Um, oh, my God. I got distracted by shiny things. Doop, uh, doop, doop. What was I talking about? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Uh, so the, the global cooldown makes the game feel very slow at first, but as you level up, you get more abilities, and then it feels much faster. Uh, there's also no dodge rolling. A lot of MMOs these days will have a dodge roll so that you can, uh, like a, a monster is about to attack and you can dodge out of the way. You don't have a dodge roll. So what you just do have to do is walk out of the way before a monster attacks. And something else that a lot of people don't understand is that as long as you're out of the telegraph, they'll put like a little circle on the ground or something. As long as you're out of the telegraph, when the telegraph disappears, you're fine. You can walk back into the area and then when they attack, it's not going to hit you. It, trust me, if you are interested even a little, you can probably pick up um, 
the base game really cheap and try it out. I think there's even a demo. Uh, and then if you hate it, then don't play it. But you also have to keep in mind, there is a subscription fee and you have to pay that subscription fee to play the game. I'm okay with that for some reason. Uh, Kodiak Moonwolf in chat is saying that there is a free trial. Uh, look, at, at the thing about MMOs that you have to remember is this this giant open world with so much to do that you will never be able to do it all. Like literally, you, there's no way you're ever going to be able to do everything in the game. And that's really cool because that means that I'm going to have a different experience than you. Yeah, we'll both go through the same story stuff, but all this other stuff that's in the game, it's insane. Uh, so anyway, I'm excited. And that game comes out um, July 8th, I think. I'm very, very excited for when that game comes out. Anyway, uh, th thank you very much for the tweet. And I'm sorry that I got distracted with the Robin Williams stuff. Uh, let's, 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 let's wrap up the show. Let's button it up. Uh, become a part of the community over at runjumpstomp.com slash discord. You can also watch the show live over at twitch.tv slash runjumpstomp. Get a hold of me, uh, through Twitter at runjumpstomp. Use the hashtag Nintendo Switchcraft. If you're looking for ways to support the show, stop by runjumpstomp.com slash thank you. And for more content like this, check out runjumpstomp.com slash shows. I almost forgot tomorrow is the day I'm going to give away, uh, whoops, backwards, the Doc Sock. So if you have not already, um tweeted me a picture of your nintendo switch with its joy cons on use the hashtag nintendo switchcraft tell me why you love the colors that you do and i will possibly send you this doc sock i'm going to pick somebody who has has done that and uh they're going to be the winner uh so anyway uh, thank you for listening. I'm out of here. The music you're hearing right now is Cornaria Star Fox Remix by Noteblock. This has been a non-Tendo version of Nintendo Switchcraft. Thanks for listening. I'll see you guys next time. Bye-bye.